Well, tonight we finish off the 37th chapter looking at the dreams that Joseph actually had, what we can learn about from his dream to help us with our own. If we might get a dream, if we might know what that we had a dream of significance. So we will take a look at these. Again, the review from last week is the four levels of understanding. This will come into play again, this one. The first level is the flesh level. I know what Scripture states. I don't really know the interaction between Scriptures. A lot of times you hear people, especially politicians, quoting on this level. They quote a verse. All they know is what it said. They have no idea what the Word of God is actually teaching. They have no idea how the Word of God actually interacts with each other. They just state it. You know, when people get up there and they say, Judge not, lest ye be judged, they have no idea what the rest of Scripture says. They just know what that one states. That is a flesh level. There's a mind or soul. This is where we see the concept Scripture is teaching. I can see, I bring in several different areas of Scripture. I can see the concept from several areas of Scripture, but I still don't know what it, uh, what, what God is saying or what this shows me about God. There's the wisdom level. The Holy Spirit shows me how to live what I understand. He gives me understanding on the Scripture. He gives me a spiritual understanding, shows me how to live it. Revelation level. The Holy Spirit opens up my eyes to see all of a sudden what I couldn't see before. Maybe I got some wisdom from the Word, but now I can see things that I hadn't seen before. Let's um, just reread our verses of Scripture from last week. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. I did forget to bring our pointer up, but I will need that by the time we get to that uh, that area. We have a map to show you some of these things. <clears throat> now these brothers here, they're grouped together. We've seen this. Uh, there's some other places in Scripture you can see this too, but they're grouped together. They're the sons of this mom and the sons of this mom, and there's, they're, they're grouped as far as we are the sons of the, the servants' moms, we are the sons of the real mom, and then we have that broken down even more. We're the sons of the love mom. We're the sons of the other mom, the other wife. So there's the genuine wives. There's the um, servant wives. So they, they created groups out of here. And here two of the groups are together, but they are still part of these groups. They have the same father, but there's still this us and them. And Joseph is certainly a them with all of the groups because he is the son of the real wife, the love wife, and he is the favorite son. So everyone else kind of just gangs up against him. But this atmosphere of them and us, it produces hatred, envy, and evil actions. You can probably make that list even longer than that. And the same is true wherever you find it. Wherever you find this, them and us, there are them and then there's us. Whenever there's the grouping of people, well, we're of this group, you're of that group. Whenever you have that, there is a battle going on. If you want to see a real good example of that, just go to any football stadium and see what happens when the people from the visiting team come in with their jerseys and the people on the home team are there with their jerseys. They don't even know them. They don't know who they are. They don't care who their mothers are, who their fathers are. They're wearing the, 
the foreign colors they're wearing the other jerseys and they are instantly put into the group of I hate you. <laughs> That's all that has to be done whenever you have this, this kind of mentality. Thank you. Appreciate that. Whenever you have this mentality of us and them, it doesn't matter who the groups are. There will be hatred. There will be envy. This is never of God. God always says there is neither Greek nor Jew. There is neither slave nor free. And the list goes on. He, he gives some other ones there too. God is not about putting people into groups. He'll put people into unsaved and saved, but He never wants to have that envy and that jealousy between there. He wants the saved to be reaching out to the unsaved. No, you need to go and get them. You need to understand my heart is to bring them in and pull them into this, this spot. The devil's idea of things is to have the us versus them. Don't give in to the devil's things. Don't play around with his toys. Stay over with God's side. I wrote this note down. It's not in your outline. But if you want to change the attitude, you've got to change the atmosphere. As long as the atmosphere is, there's us and them. We will not be able to change the attitude. I don't know if uh, some of you folks will probably remember this, but we had a particular coach in the Philadelphia area who used this us versus them mentality to try and get his team to win. Anybody remember Buddy Ryan? Buddy Ryan got an us versus them mentality between us and them as the management. There was a huge wall in between there and there was a, a hatred from the team to the management, the ownership of the of the group and uh, he used that to try and motivate. Of course it didn't. This uh, That attitude, that motivation, it does not bring people into the right place. Stay out of it. Verse 5, Now Joseph had a dream. And he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf rose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So he tells them a dream. He has this dream. He knows the dream has significance. If you have a dream and it's from God and the dream is significant, understand you will not always have a dream of significance. You may have dreams, but they may not be of significance. Uh, how many people would say you remember dreams? Anybody have dreams you remember them? I cannot remember the last time I remember a dream. I'm sure I have had dreams, and but I have no idea what they are. I, I wake up and I don't remember anything. I, I go to sleep. That, and that's that's sort of it. The um, my goal. I was I was taught this. I think back in high school. Back in high school, I learned this that there was a particular individual who, when he went to sleep, he found a way to get himself into the deepest sleeps. And so this man was able to survive on about two to three hours of sleep a night. That intrigued me because to me, at that point, sleep was a waste of time. I, I thoroughly believe sleep was a waste of time. I didn't like it. I didn't like to engage in it. I thought, well, as long as I am sleeping, I am not producing, I'm not doing anything. I didn't start to get more sleep until my college coach for cross country pulled me aside and said, Steve, you need to get more sleep. He said, uh, if you want to run, if you want to do this stuff, he said, you're, you're putting a lot under your butt, you've got to get more sleep. And so I changed my routine just because of him, and so we had two races a week, and I would get a full six hours of sleep before the race, but that was the only time I would increase the amount of, amount of sleep I had the rest of the nights I did what I preferred to do so I wasn't getting much but this this guy he, he intrigued me 
two to three hours and he was fully rested. And so what he did was he learned how to teach his body to get down into the, uh, what they called REM sleep and um, stay there for the amount of time he needed to be there and then come on back up. I said, oh, how in the world did he do that? I wanted to find out. So <laughs> I still don't know how he did it. I would love to train himself on, on how to do it. But it does seem that I am able to accomplish some of this because in, the, in a typical night of sleep, half of my sleep is spent in REM or um, deep sleep. I have something that monitors it. You know, one of those things on the wrist here just kind of um, monitors all that and lets me know about it. And as long as I'm getting around 50%, I can cut down on the, the amount of sleep that I have. And uh, I'm getting probably as much REM or deep sleep as, as others are getting. But I don't remember anything that I don't remember last time I had a dream. And I think in order to remember when you're having a dream, you can't be in one of those deep, deep type of stages. Uh, but anyway, Joseph had uh, these dreams. I don't know that Joseph is a person who has a lot of dreams. Sometimes people think that Joseph is a person who has a lot of dreams. As far as we know, Joseph had two dreams. And we do not know that he ever had another. I don't know that he didn't have another. I only know that this is all he's got that, that's written down in Scripture, or these two dreams. From here on out, his involvement with dreams is other people's dreams. So if he has any more dreams, we don't know it. But he woke up from this one and he knew it was significant. Now here's where some people get into trouble with dreams. They have a dream. They want it to be significant. Therefore, it is. You'll get yourself in trouble. If you try to make a dream that you have had significant, you will probably come to an interpretation of that dream. And uh, the Lord knows there are people out there who will interpret your dream for you. And they will tell you all manner of things. I, but don't necessarily believe them. Uh, there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on. And we'll, we'll learn some more th things about the dreams here with this. But Joseph has this dream. He knows there is significance to the dream. But he does not know what the significance is. And so he's looking for the significance. People all the time pick on Joseph because he's doing this to, you know, kind of set fire underneath of his... Um, underneath of his brothers. Now, we spent a lot of time last week. I got some, some comments from people. Boy, you spent a lot of time on all those numbers. <laughs> we spent a lot of time on the numbers to show you the difference in ages between Joseph and his brothers. It's important that you know that Joseph is a lot younger than his brothers. Joseph, at this point, is 17 years old. That puts his brothers in their 20s. They probably have, are already married. Joseph is not. They probably already have family, kids. So we are talking about a young, the young kid in the family who is the youngest, who is significantly the youngest, so much so that he got the name because he was the son of his old age. So there's a significant difference there. The others have already got a family. Most people who think, you know, I got a, I got a wife, I got children. I am wiser than you because you're just some single punk who's going around poking his nose in the business that he doesn't need to be poking his nose in and tattling on us and, and <laughs> you shouldn't even be old enough to do all this sort of stuff. So this is the attitude that is there. It's important for you to know that attitude that is there. This is already there. But Joseph has this dream. He knows it's significant. He wants to figure out what this is. Now look at Joseph's options. His options are his parents, maybe just his father, but maybe maybe both are still still there. His options are his brothers or the heathen in the land. 
That's all they have in the land is heathen. The only ones they have that have uh, somewhat of a similar faith are pretty far away. This is what he's got. If you are trying to figure out the significance of a dream and this is all you have, you would probably try and talk yourself out of it for a little while. No, I need to just do this on my own. But it's not coming to him. He's not figuring this out. He knows it's significant. It's really bothering him. So he begins to share it to the only people that he knows that may be able to help him with this. Because if God's sending him a message, he, he wants to know what this message is. So he shares it with his brothers. Not for the purpose of putting them down. Not for the purpose of, hey, you may be older than me, but I'm better. <laughs> I got this dream and all you, all you guys, you're going to be bowing down to me. That's not his purpose in this. He's trying to come up with the meaning of the dream. But he has very few options as to where he can go. There's no prophet in the land that he can go to, at least as, not as far as we know. There's, there's no prophet in the land he can go to. There's no priest. None of these things are available to him. So he needs to, at least no priest of Jehovah. We don't have any, any mentioned around his, his area right there. They are the spiritual ones in the region. So he shares it with them. This is what happened. And he tells them exactly what happened in the dream. If he changes what happened in the dream, then he's changed the meaning. And even if they come up with a meaning, it won't be the right one. So all he can do is tell them exactly what happened in the dream. And people all the time fault him for this, and this is what caused the problem. This is not what caused the problem. The problem was caused because he was given a position that was over them, and they were all older, significantly older. They resented it. This was just another reason to resent him more, but they already resented him. They already hated him. They already didn't like him. This did not bring that along the way even more. Now, Joseph, of course, knows this. If you've got people that have been hating on you for 17 years, you probably have figured it out. And he probably doesn't want to, but he doesn't feel like he has a whole lot of, whole lot of options here. So he told it to his father and his brothers. Verse, um, uh, this is, this is the second dream. I'm sorry. Verse nine. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. Now in the first dream, <clears throat> Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. Verse 7. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf rose and stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. Now that was it. There's no numbers in this one. There is just sheaves. We don't even know if the numbers in this one are different. Is the numbers of total sheaves in the first dream 10? Is the number of the total sheaves in the first dream 11. What's the number of the... We don't, we're not told what the number of the sheaves are in the first dream. In the second dream, we are. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brother and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. Now we got numbers. We got 11 stars bowing down to him. We don't know. Kind of would have been nice to know what the numbers were in the first dream, but we don't have them. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I, your brothers indeed, come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now we told you 
in all those numbers we were dealing with, we're not sure. I'm not sure. I'll say that. <clears throat> I'm not sure if Benjamin is born when he is 17 years old or if Benjamin is born afterwards. If there's a reference to the mother, is the mother Rebecca? Because if Benjamin is born, Rebecca is not there. If that's the case, then the, the standing could have been Leah. And the mother may have been, been Leah in the reference and Benjamin's already there. But we're not told exactly what that is. It may have been looked at as a prophecy that there's going to be another son coming. But again, we don't have all those details. That's not what we're supposed to learn from the dream. But what we do know is that in this dream, this time the sun, the moon, the eleven stars bowed down to me. The only thing he talks about in of the dream is that they come and they bow down. So the focus of the dream, both dreams, is that the sheaves are coming to bow down. Now the sheaves are part of a harvest. It's part of bringing in the, the, the wheat, whatever it is you're harvesting, you're cutting it with the sheave. So they're all out there cutting it down. And his reigns, which shows that Joseph has more stuff than they do. <laughs> which is what's going to happen. He's going to have more stuff than they do. But his father hears it, and he's not too happy. It doesn't say he told it to his mother, father, and brothers. It said he told it to his father and his brothers. That may give indication that it may not be Rebecca that is in the mother's position. That it may be Leah. Because if it was Rebecca, or I'm sorry, Rachel, then um, probably he would have included her, maybe even told her sooner, because she probably would have loved it. My son? <laughs> yeah, she would have liked that part of it. But um, even though to his father he's the favorite, he doesn't like the idea, what do you mean, I'm going to come and bow down? I don't care about your brothers coming and bow down. But you're going to tell me that I'm going to come and bow down? Now, once he told the first dream, the first dream is told to the brothers. It does not say he told it to the fathers. But I'll bet you the father found out. Remember, this is the days. There's no radio. There's no TV. There's no movies to go to. All you do after the workday is over, you sit around and talk. Hey, Dad, did you hear about Joseph's dream? Tell him, Joseph. You got to hear this dream, Dad. You'll probably like it. <laughs> there's probably some some stuff going on. And if the father heard this one, he doesn't care about this one. Yep, yep, I can see this one. Joseph, he, he certainly has better qualities than the rest of his brothers. I could see that he would probably rise up to a higher position than the rest of the brothers were. But now that he's showing that the father's coming and bowing down, oh, hold on a minute. Mm-mm, we don't like this. And so the father, who is certainly more spiritual than all the brothers, is taking this flesh-level understanding. All I'm doing is hearing what you're saying. All they're doing is hearing what the dream said. The dream said we will come and bow down. I've heard people over the years, and this is constantly what they'll say about this. You look at commentaries. You look at uh, people that preach on this. You'll see all the time, this dream is telling Joseph you're going to be a ruler. This dream is not telling Joseph he's going to be a ruler. God does not use dreams to tell you what is going to happen only. But we'll get to that here in just a minute. Now, these dreams here, they are similar, but different. It, it's the differences that give the understanding. It's the differences that give the understanding. The understanding is not given in the dream. 
The understanding is given in the differences between the two dreams. This does not happen any other place in Scripture. This not, does not happen to other people in Scripture, but it happens to Joseph. It's the difference between the dreams. Now, this pattern is going to follow Joseph. As far as the dreams that we know he heard, there's the pattern of the two dreams. These two dreams will come in with Pharaoh. These two dreams will come in with the cupbearer and the baker. It's the two dreams. The two dreams bring the meaning together. But the dreams need to be to get, need to be together for this to happen. So this pattern follows Joseph. This does not happen with anyone else. But it happens with Joseph. It may have happened with him more, more times than just these three, but we're only given these three occasions. He may have had other dreams that didn't have this pattern, but we're not given those. All we're given are these three, and there's always a pair of dreams. So it's the differences. This is what gives the understanding. We know this definitely because in the dream with Pharaoh, as Joseph interprets it, he is showing it's the differences between the dreams that gives the meaning. With the with the baker, and the, we're not there yet, but when we get to the baker and we get to the cupbearer, it's the differences between that show the meaning of the dream. Because Joseph has learned this. He doesn't know it at this time, but he will learn it. So somewhere before he gets out of prison, before he comes before Pharaoh, he learns that one dream can teach you what the other dream means, which is training Joseph for what will happen with Pharaoh. Joseph, I need to get, I need you to get this down. I need you to learn this because I need you to be expert in the two dream understanding. Because the two dreams are coming. There's a pair of dreams that are coming. I need you to get ready. So he's going to give it to him here in this one. Now, as we said, this is not true of all dreams, but it seems to be true of most that Joseph comes to hear. A pattern with one does not mean it's always or often God's way. Just because we see this pattern and it repeats itself with one like it does here with Joseph does not mean that it is always or that it is often God's way of doing this. But it is with Joseph. We'll see other people, they just get one dream. Now, we don't see this again, but it doesn't mean that God didn't do it with other people. It doesn't mean that He won't do it with other people. But if if it happened, it happened apart from what was written down. Now, a dream, I put this in your outline for you, a dream is not just to simply inform you of what is coming. That In all the times we have dreams in the Scriptures, a dream is never to just inform you of what is coming. But you'll see people today that will take a dream on nothing more than the information level. Well, I had this dream. I guess this means this is going to happen. This is coming to me. But a dream in the Word of God is is not to simply inform you of what is coming, but to help you prepare for it. The purpose for Joseph in the dream with Pharaoh was to prepare for what was coming. This is coming. If you prepare for it, you'll be all right. If you don't prepare for it, you won't be. I don't want this to get you, so prepare for it. Here's how you prepare. The dream didn't tell them how to prepare. In the dream with Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh did not tell Joseph how to prepare for what the dream said was coming. 
which is real key to understand Joseph's dream. Because Joseph's dream does not tell him how to prepare for what is coming. It is just telling him what is coming. But he learned by that point that the dreams come to prepare for what is coming. Not to announce, but to prepare. Joseph had a dream of what Herod was going to do. It was not, the purpose of that was not to announce what Herod was going to do. The purpose was to prepare for what was to be done. When God gives a vision, when God gives a dream in the Word of God, it is to prepare people for what is to come. When Paul stood on the deck and said, Men, I have had a vision. God told him what was coming, not to just inform him, but to prepare. Now, if we're going to do this, this is what has to happen. We're going to run aground on a certain island. Nobody dies. <laughs> and he had to hit them with that a couple of times. They're ready to kill some people. No, nobody dies. Nobody leaves this ship. Don't get in that boat and take off. If you do, it won't end well. And they listened to him and they cut the lifeboat off. It was there to prepare him. When God gives a dream, its purpose is preparation. Get you ready for what is to come. It's not just to tell you stuff. It's to get you into a place of preparation. That's what the dream is for. Most people are satisfied with being informed. But God wants you prepared. When you look at all the things that are given on the end times, when you look at the book of Revelation and John writes down all this stuff that's going to happen, God is not wanting you informed once you prepared. He wants you ready. Paul wrote these things. He said, I write these things that you, that, that these things should bring comfort. Share these things with each other. Talk to each other. These things are supposed to bring comfort. Teaching on the end times is supposed to bring comfort. A lot of times what people are doing in the end times doesn't bring comfort. It brings anxiety. It brings fear. But John is given this stuff. He writes it down so that we can prepare for what is coming and be ready for it. Verse 5 again is, let's um, look at that again. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. Therefore we were binding sheaves in the field. Behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, shall we indeed, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Joseph is seeking the meaning. The brothers, they see that as, as just informing. You're informing us that you're going to reign over us. We don't like this. They're not preparing for anything. They're not looking, looking to get ready for anything. They're just mad. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him, said to him, What is this dream you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. <clears throat> now he didn't envy him like the brothers did. He kept it in mind, but he rebuked him for it. So Joseph know this, this dream. This has significance. There's something about this. If you get a dream from God, you may not get the meaning, but you will know it is significant. Now the ten brothers have a poor, poor reaction. 
This is likely where the age difference comes into play. This little kid brother. Probably always, always see him as a little kid brother. He's not trying to make the brothers feel put down. He's not trying to make them feel less than he is. He's trying to come to an understanding. And as we said, there's no one for Joseph to go to. The brothers are likely, get this, the brothers are likely the most spiritual of people around him. And they are prone to selfishness, envy, hatred, anger, and all kinds of acts of violence. And they're the most spiritual people he's got. You think you have a bit. Wow. That is, uh, that is something. If this is the condition of the brothers, and Joseph, of all the people, and he's the youngest, he's the kid, he's the one who's not supposed to know anything, but he's the only one who's, who's seeking for a greater meaning. I, I don't, I'm not satisfied just that there's going to be a, a ruling and a reigning or that you guys are bound down. What does this mean? What is this here? Why is this being given to me? He doesn't know. The brothers look at Joseph's life in relation to this dream already. He's, he's been given the, the coat. Our translations say coat of many colors or the coat of the long sleeves or the managerial coat, the managerial position. He's already got this. Now he wants to reign over us. He's not satisfied with just being our boss. He wants to, to reign over us. So they hated him even more for this because they don't like the position that he has over them. Verse 12, Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now if you pull up our little map we have, put it up there on the screen. Picture is worth far more. Here, so we're going to see that um, this is showing all of Joseph's trip. This is where he was when he first got into trouble with all the deception that had gone on and he made the trip all the way out to Haran, way up over here. Now you'll see this. He leaves here and of course he's fleeing Laban and he comes all the way down into, whoops, right, right over into here. And this is where he gets caught by Laban. He made it all this way. It wasn't like he got caught right around the block. He made it all the way down this way. And this is where he's... Um, yeah, I'm sorry. It is down here. Laban catches him all the way down in here. So he's working out over in this area. They put three days journey between him. So there's your, your journey. And he gets all the way down in here. Almost, almost homebound. Almost where he wants to be. This is where Laban catches them. Down over here is where he meets up with Esau. Now, when he first gets into the land, he comes to the area of Shechem. And he stays there. But you remember they had the Dinah incident. And the, the brothers decided to go out there and they killed all the men of Shechem. So that made them, the people in the area, angry. And so he moves from there down to Bethel. And then he's in Bethel for a little while. And then he moves down over here to the area of Hebron. When this story picks up with the dreams, this is where they live, over here in the valley of Hebron. So Joseph is sent on this this journey, 
in verse 12. He's, he says the kids are over here in Shechem. I'm sorry, yeah, in Shechem. This is much richer land. This is much greener land than it is down over here in Hebron. So they're going to send them up over there. It's about a 50-mile trek to get from here to here. Of course, there's no bus. There's no train. There's no cars. You're going to, you're going to either walk it or get on a horse. I don't know that he had horses. So it's, it seems like he was walking. Can you imagine giving a journey? We gotta, you gotta get going. I think if I remember right, if you just went straight down 611 from here, center city is about 45 miles. So you gotta add about five miles to it. At least that's the understanding I have. When I was in Willow Grove, we always went under the understanding that the city was 40 miles down. We're five miles up from there. So if you can imagine, you're here and your dad says, I need you to go into the city and check on some things. And so you have to walk from here five miles past Center City. That's not an easy journey, is it? But he's, he'll, he, he's like, all right, I'll do this. And you're saying this to uh, to the kid of the family, the favorite kid, but you're still saying it to a kid in the family. He's making this trip by himself. The brothers made it together. They took all the flocks and they went out together and made this trip. Somebody attacked them. They got some other people along the way. Maybe he took some servants with them. Don't know. They're not mentioned if we if we didn't. But he says, just go out there and see if everything's okay. You know, he might have been concerned because remember we still have the Dinah incident that occurred. And that was up over here in Shechem. <clears throat> Maybe they were delayed in coming back. Maybe they stayed a little bit longer from what he was expecting. Whatever it was, he's getting concerned. Can you just go and make sure that they're okay? And so he heads on out there to see if they're they're right. Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. Now Joseph, he's not sent to spy on his brothers. He's not saying being sent to go see if uh, they're doing okay. Go check on their safety. Shechem is 50 miles away. When he gets there, he gets some more information. Now verse 15. Now a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him saying, what are you seeking? Obviously you can tell he's looking for something. Why is he just wandering the field? You get into a field, you can pretty much tell that there are not ten brothers and there is not a bunch of flocks. Maybe he's just kind of wandering the field looking for some evidence. Which way did they go? Trying to see a large number of, of hoof prints. Let's follow the large number of footprints that are, that are out there. Let's, uh, Let's see what's going on. What's that? Only 20? I was told it was a lot more than that. Boy, if you set up for the Broad Street run, that's uh, 10 miles. Huh? So it's even further than that, huh? Well, Ocean City is 100 miles. (laughs) I know that one. That's that's exactly a hundred miles from Willow Grove. So uh half of that. But that's a that's a good haul. Now he's gonna to be told here, he's wandering around, some man comes up, they have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. That's another twenty miles. So he has to go a total of seventy miles to get there. 
Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. So now they put a title on him. We can call him the dreamer. He's got all these dreams. They may have had other titles for him before that, but this one they like better. This one's more recent. Let's just call him the dreamer. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. We shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. See, if we kill him, those dreams can't come true. We'll show him who's, who's bigger than his dreams. He thinks he gets these, these spiritual dreams. He thinks God's trying to tell him something. He thinks something great is going on. We'll show him how great things are. We'll throw him in some pit. We'll kill him. We'll, uh, we'll take him out. If he's taken out, he's not going to be ruling over nobody. So they decide that we can do this. This is what these spiritual people are doing. This is the people that God is going to make into a great nation. <laughs> Can you imagine God looking down on this thing? You think he had trouble looking down on the two to four million Israelites that Moses led around the wilderness. He's got to be uh, talking to people. These, This is what we had to work with? Really? I give a spiritual dream and this is the interpretation? Their father, that's the best he can come up with? That's the best he can do? He doesn't seek after me. He doesn't find, try and figure out what's going on. He just says, what, are we going to rule over you? Are you going to rule over us too? Boy, I tell you what, God's got to say, we got some work to do. How in the world are we going to get these guys to turn around? Because we need them to be spiritual people. We can't have them be these flesh-dominated creatures. We need them to be, be something better. So they see him afar off, and the first thing they say is how we can kill him. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of the, their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to him, Shed no blood, but cast him into the pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. Now, the idea here is Reuben had uh, infidelity with uh, uh, one of his father's wives. And this was not looked well upon. So, Reuben's on the out with his dad. He's trying to figure out a way, how can I get back in God, uh, um, my father's good graces? How do I get back into that? So he's thinking, if I can take the favorite son, even though I despise him and hate him, if I can take the favorite son and I can save him from death, bring him back to dad and say, Dad, these all wanted to kill him. I saved him. We'll get him to throw him into a pit while they're off doing something. I'll sneak over there. I'll get him out. I'll save him. I'll send him on his way or I'll go with him. We'll get on back to dad. Dad, we got something to tell you. The rest of the brothers, man, they are scoundrels. We're the only good ones. And Reuben is trying to use this in order to get back in good with his father. He cares not about Joseph. He is not doing this because of his love for Joseph, because he thinks this is what God would have us do. He doesn't care about any of that. All he wants to do is to bring him back and deliver him to his father so that he can get back in good graces with his father. If you go back a few chapters, you'll see the infidelity he had. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. Egypt. 
So the brothers decide to conspire and to come up with something that they're going to do. Cast him into a pit. Strip him of the, the tunic. Now Joseph, you have to wonder, he knows his brothers hate him. He knows he's already had to bring back a bad report. And I, I don't see Joseph as the type of a person who's nitpicky. Who's trying to, he got in there with his brothers and I found a few things that I didn't like what they were doing. And I'm, he's not going to be that, that type of a manager. You see them in some movies. You see them in some shows. And even when you're watching the show, you just despise. Oh, I don't like that manager. I don't like that person. Oh, they're just, they're so evil. They're so nasty. They're so, that's not Joseph. Joseph is probably struggling with this, but he knows if they keep doing whatever it is that they're doing, the flocks are going to suffer. If the flocks suffer, then my dad's business is suffering. Then the, the goods that we have, all that suffers. And my dad will come to me and say, you knew this was going on and you didn't tell me about it? And so he's stuck. He probably really is wrestling with the whole thing. Should I be telling him? But he felt like he had no choice. And so he brings his dad. <clears throat> I don't know why it is they're doing this. I tried to show them the right way to do this, but they just despise me. They don't see me as, as no one that, that I know anything good about this. And they think that they all have the right way. But if they keep going this way, the flocks, maybe they're driving them too hard. Maybe they're not feeding them right. But whatever it is, they're not doing something right. And J- Joseph has to bring this report. And they despised them for it. They didn't despise themselves for doing something that was blatantly wrong. What they despised was Joseph is the one who told people about it. You're not supposed to be telling on your brothers. You're supposed to be sticking with us. But brothers, what you're doing is it's wrong. And so we're never told what it was that was wrong. But apparently it was wrong enough that Joseph just felt like I can't contain this. I can't keep this. I've got to bring this out. So understand this is the person that Joseph is because if you look at it the other way around that doesn't mesh with who Joseph was in the detailed part of the stories that doesn't mesh with how Joseph was in the prison doesn't mesh with how Joseph was with Potiphar he wasn't that kind of a guy so if he wasn't that kind of a guy before he's probably uh, uh, not not well if he wasn't that kind of guy in the stories that we know he wasn't that kind of of a guy before so he comes upon them you got to wonder, is Joseph even thinking about this? These guys don't like you. They're mad at you now because of the dreams. You're way out here all by yourself. I don't know. If I was Joseph, I'd be thinking that. What happens if they try and do something evil to me? Because these are evil brothers. But um, his, his devotion, his loyalty to his father and doing what his father has asked him to do, he wants to do it. He's not taking on the attitude... Dad, I'm not doing stuff like that. Remember, I'm going to be ruling over you. So you better line up. He doesn't take that kind of attitude. He says, Dad, if that's what you want me to do, if that's what you think I need to do, I'll go ahead and do it. And so he goes, heads out there. Maybe he thinks that they're going to do something. But, no, nah, they're my brothers. They Surely they wouldn't do something like that. But they did. And so as they all grab hold of him, they probably wait and let them come on into the group and they all begin to surround them and now we got them. And then they just start um, beating on them, taking the, the tunic off of them. And they lifted their eyes and looked and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. Now this whole story 
sounds a lot like the parable that Jesus gave in Matthew 21. I gave you the reference there if you want to go back and look at it, but this is the parable of the landowner. Remember the landowner? And he had the people, he leased out the vineyard, and then he went to collect the money and he sent some servants, and they beat some, killed some, and so finally he sent his son. I wonder if Jesus is thinking about the story of Joseph when he gives that parable. And one of the people who heard the parable thought of the story of Joseph when they heard the parable. And they knew how evil the brothers were for what they did and how much they had to repent to get into a place where they could be the forefathers. In uh, Genesis 42:21, just give you the reference to it there. It says that after throwing him into the pit, they sat down to eat despite his cries. So he was out there in the, in the pit. They heard him crying out. The actual scripture says they said to one another, we, this is when they were before Joseph. Joseph is there. He's, um, he's, he's hearing them in the court. They didn't think he could understand their language. And so they said, we are truly guilty concerning our brother for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. So they're relating what's going on with Joseph in Egypt to what they did to Joseph out in the field. We heard him cry. We heard those those sounds of anguish. And so this tells you Joseph. Joseph was not in there taking it like a man. He was crying out, guys, come on, please don't do this. Come on, guys. He's, he's pleading with them. And they ignored it, went over and got something to eat while all that was going on. Verse uh, 26, So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Now a couple of things on these this... Uh, passage here. First off, we have the role of Reuben and Judah. Judah decides what profit. Let's get some money out of this. If we just kill him, what good is that? Let's uh, sell him. If we sell him as a slave down into Egypt, how's he ever going to rule and reign over us? That's probably what they're thinking. That's going to be just as good, but we get some money. They're not going to get a whole lot of money, but you know, they decide we, we can t- take the money, split it up ten ways, and uh, that's better than us not having any. So they decide to, to do it. Now here's the interesting part about this. In verse 27, Come and let us sell him to the who? Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then who? Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the who? Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. In Judges 8.24, we have uh, Gideon. He was talking... You remember what Gideon? Remember Gideon? Who did he deliver the Israelites from? The Midianites, right? Yeah. Judges 8.24. Then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you that each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder. For they had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. Did he deliver them from the Midianites or the Ishmaelites? Did they sell them to the Ishmaelites or did they sell them to the Midianites? And then in turn, did the Midianites or did the Ishmaelites sell them to the Egyptians? 
Well, maybe they're all just the same people. <laughs> Except the Ishmaelites were born to who? They were born to Ishmael. Ishmael is Abraham's son by Hagar. So where did the Midianites come from? Well, if you will remember that after uh, Sarah dies, what does Abraham go out and do? He gets remarried. And then what happens with the new wife? She has kids. One of those kids is named Midian. And he is the father of the Midianites. Now, if you will comb through Scripture, and you're welcome to go through it. I already have. <laughs> but you're welcome to go through it again. You will find this. There are several kings mentioned of the Midianites. There are no kings mentioned for Ishmaelites. The only ones we have kings for are the Midianites. Now, we have kings for other countries too, but of these two, that's all we have. What it seems to be is that the Ishmaelites settled in a region that part of which was run by the Midianites. But they stayed separate. It, what They were not restricted to the region of the Midianites, but there was a good group of Ishmaelites that lived within the territory of the Midianites. Some of these trains that are coming by these brothers were inhabited by Ishmaelites and Midianites. The Ishmaelites apparently drove the camels. And there is a mention to the camels in there. The Midianites were more the traders. And so the Ishmaelites came in with a certain specialty in bringing that train across and the Midianites also had a, had a specialty. So when they were in there, they may have sold them to one group and the other group may have taken possession of them. They may have bartered and traded, but they were two distinct groups even though they inhabited some of the same areas of land. But they maintained their identity. Just like the Israelites are maintaining their identity different from the Canaanites. They never lose their identity to the Canaanites. They never lose their identity to the Egyptians when they're in Egypt. They're always the Israelites. In the same way the Ishmaelites maintained their identity even though they were in the land of Midian. So that is uh, probably what's going on there. Some people try and look at that as a... Uh, well, there's a problem in Scripture. Scripture is inconsistent. No. There were Ishmaelites and there were Midianites. And they were in the same train. And they were first thinking, well, we'll do it to the Ishmaelites. You know, these are our relatives. Of course, Midianites, they're, they're relatives too. Verse 29. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit. And he tore his clothes. And returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more. And I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Now, Reuben may not have come clean to his brothers of what he was planning, but Reuben is the oldest. And if, if his brother is gone, guess who his father looks to? He looks to Reuben. Reuben, you allowed this? This happened on his watch. So now he's got to strike with the with the uh, servant wife and he's got to strike here. That's a lot of strikes. And he's not going to be able to get back into his father's graces anyway that he can 
he can picture this. So he's, uh, that's why he's out there. Oh no, what am I going to do? So they said, well, we, we don't want this to look bad for you, so we'll make it so that he died on the way and never got to us. And this way, dad won't be mad at you because he never got here. And so they just, uh, they pretend like they're on their way back. And on their way back, they happen to find this coat. Boy, this looks like Joseph's coat. And they put some blood on it. Now, what kind of go- blood did they put on it? Goat's blood. It is interesting to note that when Jacob produced his deception of his father, and when the sons produced their deception of their father, it involves the death of a goat. Because it is the goat skin that is put on the hands and the arms of Jacob to deceive his father into thinking he's a hairy Esau. And it is the goat here and the goat's blood that is killed. Coincidence? Probably not. <laughs> but anyway, I can't tell you exactly what the significance is, but um, in the Word of God, we do have scapegoats. And there were two goats that were involved, and one goat died, and the other goat was released. Verse 34, Then Jacob, Jacob tore his clothes put sackcloth on his waist and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the many knights had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. So Jacob, he doesn't hide it. This is my favorite son. I don't care how many other sons I got. I'm going to be sad for the rest of the days till I go down into the earth. And uh, the sons and daughters try and comfort him. He wouldn't be comforted. Nope. Not going to do it. And he doesn't really care how this affects the rest of the people because he is very much on a flesh basis on this. There are some things, no matter how spiritual you are, seems that there are some things in life that can get you in the flesh. You can go along, you're being spiritual, you're being above all this sort of stuff, and then all of a sudden somebody says something, somebody does something, somehow it just gets you, pulls you right into the flesh. And boy, this one does it to, to Jacob here. We've seen some times when he's been super spiritual. He's out there wrestling with angels. He's out there trusting God when he's facing Esau. He's out there going against Laban. And believe in God for things. God, you'll bless me. And, and God does. And then he hits this thing and he's just all flesh. Just know you're in good company, even if that happens to you. <laughs> and God will still work with you. But the four levels of understanding, let's go back to that. All people look to understand what the dream said. And most people that they... They go here. All the people that are involved in this story, the sons, the father, all the people that we have mentioned, all they do is look at what is said. No one strives to find out the meaning. No one looks to try and see what is, why is this here? Why is this coming? All they do is see what is said and judge it on that. What? We're gonna, you're, we're gonna bow down to you? You're gonna rule over us? That's all they do. That is a flesh level understanding. But that's where all the people in this story are. People who've come after them. 
How many times have you heard this story taught about Joseph in a dream? Well, God's telling him he's going to be a ruler. Get prepared to be a ruler. That is not what God is telling him to do. That has absolutely nothing to do with the dream that he has. Even today, how many look to see what it means? How many people really dive into this story to see what it means? To understand this, people like Joseph did must pursue its meaning. If you are going to get beyond a flesh-level understanding of anything in Scripture, you have got to pursue its meaning. A flesh-level understanding will come to you for all sorts of things. You can get a flesh-level understanding for a parable. You can get a flesh-level understanding for one of the miracles that Jesus did. You can get a flesh-level understanding for some of the things that Paul taught. You can get a flesh-level understanding of the life of David, the life of Saul. You can keep on going. You can get a flesh-level understanding. Just see what is said and get completely distracted by what was said and not understand what is meant. We can do that. You can get into a a, a higher level, a little higher level, soulish level where you can look at different areas of Scripture and kind of derive a meaning on your own. But that's no better. It's not going to help you. If you are going to get the higher levels of understanding... You're going to have a wisdom level. If you're going to have a revelation level, you've got to pursue it. You've got to say, I know what is said here, but I don't understand what is meant. Daniel often had a dream, had a vision. He, he saw what was said. He saw what was done, but I don't understand what it means. And he pressed in. And sometimes the angel would show up with the command, make him understand the vision. Make him understand the vision. John was up in heaven seeing all this stuff unfold and had to press in to find out what it meant. Paul received a heavenly vision about the revelation of the church and had to press in to find out what it meant. If all he needed was a flesh level understanding of what was said, he didn't need to spend all those years out there, isolated, away from everybody. Barnabas wouldn't have had to go out there and get him. He would have got the the uh, the vision. He just would have gone right on out there and taught. But he didn't do that. He pursued his meeting. There are things that we have to pursue. People in the Bible had to go beyond merely hearing. And we have to do the same. We have to be ready to go beyond just merely hearing what the Word said. I need to understand what it means. We gave you a few examples last week on flesh-level understanding. But how much so can you see this with the Pharisees? What a flesh-level understanding did they have of the Sabbath? They just had a flesh-level understanding of it. And Jesus is always trying to bring them out of it. Doing healings on the Sabbath. That messed with them. We're not supposed to be doing this. They'd interrupt Jesus' meeting. Come back on another day. There's six days, seven days in the week. Come on the other six days. Don't come on this day to get healed. Because it was more important that that would have happened. And Jesus was about to teach them. Man is not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for man. We have to press in to get this. It, it won't just come to you. Just because you want it, it won't just come to you. Joseph wanted it. If God gave it to Joseph, doesn't God want Joseph to have the meaning of this dream? God gave it to him. He wants him to have it. But in order for him to get it, he's got to press in. He's got to pursue this thing. That's what we have to do. I have to be prepared 
to press into God to find out what something means. Now, God didn't give him the meaning through his father. God didn't give him the meaning through his brothers. When he was over there in Egypt, is there anyone he could get the meaning of this dream from? Do you want to get it from heathen like the, the Pharaoh? Potiphar? Are these people going to... Potiphar's wife? She don't sound very spiritual. Are these the people that are going to help him understand this dream? No. He has to press into it. Because when you are given a dream, when you are given an, an understanding, of, there's something more there. If you don't press in to receive the understanding of it, then when the opposition comes, you won't press in either. And the true meaning of this dream will be very much opposed. And Joseph has to be ready to face it. The only way Joseph is going to be ready to face it is if Joseph presses in to get what the meaning is. What is it that's in your life? That you've got a flesh level understanding. But you've got to press in. You've got to get something more. It's going to hold you back. It's going to hinder you. Oh, it'd be great if you just go out there and find somebody. Hey, tell me what this means. Oh, it means this. Oh, okay. No, you got to press in. Because when you're given things like this, like Joseph is, God, God singles him out and gives him this dream. God's up there and saying, we got, we got this, we got this thing we got to do. Who can we call on? I think we can call on Joseph. I think Joseph, I think he's got the mindset to press in to do this. So they give it to him. During the days of Daniel, God's looking around. Who is it that we can give this revelation to? During the days of Ezekiel, God's looking around. Who is it we can give these words of prophecies to? God is looking around for people. He's got things to be, to be done. And he's saying, who can we give these things to? Some people, they just want to receive a flesh level understanding, a flesh level revelation. And they go out and they, they proclaim it as if it's God. This is so. But there's something more. As we go on through here, we'll see what more there is and what we can learn from Joseph for pressing in. Father, we thank you that we can press in. We can receive the things that you want us to. Sometimes you give us dreams. Sometimes you give us visions. Sometimes you just stir us up in our spirit that there's something more that's there. Because you're calling our attention. You want us to press in. You want us to seek you. Once we have, once you have our attention, the enemy tries to come in and give us a lesser meaning, tries to satisfy us with something on the, on the flesh level or something on the mental level. Because once we're satisfied, we don't pursue it anymore. But we need to rise up and be more like Joseph, more like those that had that mentality that said, I will not settle. For just this low level understanding. I know that there is more. I know that there is significance. And I will not be able to make proper preparation for what is to come. If I do not have the proper understanding. Of what is being told. We thank you Father. That you have great things in store for the church. For the world. You desire to use your people. But you need those who will press in, not just settle 
for a flesh-level understanding and call it something spiritual. Thank you for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Any comments, questions, or did I leave out anything? Yes, you left out an entire section. Did I really? Yes. Well, fancy that. <laughs> See, sir. <laughs> Oh, C5. Actions of hate. And number five is every action of the brothers to harm or to save. Oh, I thought I gave that one. Every action of the brothers to harm or to save was done for only selfish reasons. Keep going. Just being around spiritual people. Oh, I did not read this one. <laughs> Just being around spiritual people or having spiritual, having a spiritual purpose will not make you spiritual. Read it again, Pastor. Just being around spiritual people, people. Okay. or having a spiritual purpose will not make you spiritual. You gotta, you gotta press into it. Yep. You may have, you may be around spiritual people. Joseph wasn't. But you may have a spiritual purpose. Joseph did. But that did not make him spiritual. He had to press in. And the final one, Joseph became one or a spiritual person because he pursued it just like he did with the dream. The same way that Joseph pursues the meaning of this dream is the same way that Joseph pursued everything else in his life. He pressed in. He pursued it. He went after it. When he was in Potiphar's house, he pursued what that house needed. When he was in the prison, he pursued what that prison needed. He pressed in. He went after it. If you are going to be a spiritual person, you have got to press in. You've got to pursue it. It will not just happen because God has a spiritual purpose for you. I'll bet you when we get to heaven, we'll find that there are a lot of people who had a spiritual purpose and never came to realize it. Any, any other comments or questions? Or did I miss anything else? I know I had a lot of blanks in there for you tonight. What's that? Joseph became one. Joseph became one, a spiritual person, because he pursued it just like he did with the dream. He became a spiritual person. If I put it, Joseph became a spiritual person, it would have gone to three lines and I had to delete something else. <laughs> Todd says, this was instruction that I needed to hear. Thank you. Ah, very welcome, Todd. Thanks for that. Anything else? Yeah. The four levels of understanding, just tying all that, that in there. Okay. If, if you look at the four levels of understanding with this dream, you, you look at people, they come out, they will teach you about Joseph's dream. Joseph's dream was he's going to be a ruler. That is such a flesh level understanding of that dream. That dream has nothing to do with Joseph being a ruler. When we get to the part, you've been here before, you've, you know, you, I know it was, what, 2005. How long ago was that? 15, 20, 16, 16 years ago. Some of you have been around here long enough, you already know what that, that whole purpose of this dream is. But we'll show you what this purpose is here, here in this. purpose of this dream has nothing to do with leadership. It actually has very little to do with the fact that they will come and bow down. It has everything to do with there being two dreams. 
And Joseph pushes, he presses in, he's going to find out what this is. Because you see, the journey of finding out the meaning makes you into the person who's needed for the job. And that what Joseph will become because he presses in makes him the man God needs him to be. And you will, you will see when we get there, it's a very difficult task that God has for him. But it's a very necessary one. And he gave him this dream to prepare, to get him ready for what was to come. So we'll, we'll get there with, with all that. Is that, uh, take care of that for you? Okay, good.